Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. If you open up your Bibles to Leviticus 23. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson, went on a camping trip. They set up their tent. God bless you. They set up their tent, sat around the campfire. They were talking, getting sleepy. They went in their tent, continued to talk, and they finally fell asleep. Halfway through the night, Sherlock Holmes wakes up and he starts shaking Dr. Watson. He goes, Watson, Watson, wake up, wake up. Watson goes, what is it, Mr. Holmes? What's going on? He goes, look up in the sky and tell me what you see. Well, Watson looks up at the sky, and he goes, well, astronomically, tells me there are millions of galaxies and probably billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me Saturn is in Leo. Time-wise, it tells me it's about 3.15 a.m., Theologically, it tells me that the Lord God is all-powerful and we are just small and insignificant. Meteorologically, it tells me we have a beautiful day coming in just a few hours. Watson looks around and then looks at Holmes and he goes, Mr. Holmes, what does it tell you? And Holmes pauses and then looks at Watson and he goes, Watson, you idiot, somebody stole our tent. <laughs> Sometimes we miss the obvious. Sometimes there's things put right out in front of us and we don't see it. There's a saying in coaching that we tell our players that you look but you don't see. So what does that mean in layman's terms? Well, a football player, a guy in the line might create a, an opening. He might block the opposition, create a hole for the running back to run through, but the running back doesn't see it. So he, he looked, but he didn't see what was taking place. In basketball, there might be a, a guy cutting to the basket, but the man with the ball or the kid with the ball never saw that cut. So he was looking, his eyes were open, but he didn't see what was going on. So sometimes we look, but we don't see. It's right there in front of us all the time, but it goes right over our head. If we take a look at Leviticus 23, it says in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be my holy convocation, these are my feast. Now the Lord has given not only the Jewish people, but you and I, seven feasts. And we want to take a look at these feasts today. The feasts are listed all in chapter 23 of Leviticus. 
Okay, so the seven feasts of the Lord. So we're going to take a look at some of these. Um, today, in the West, we have our fall, um, winter, spring, and summer. But in the East, they have the feast. They go by the feast. In Colossians 2, 16 and 17, we have, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regard in a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Now, throughout the scriptures, one of the things you have to remember that when the pastors or elders teach here, we're trying to equip you for works of ministry. Now, what is ministry? Ministry is basically life and bringing Christ into the lives of the people that you contact throughout your lifetime. So it's a journey. You, as a child of the living God, have the Holy Spirit within you influencing the people that you come in contact with. And it's a journey for you as an individual, as we all know. It's not an easy journey all the time. There's trials and there's tribulations. But the Lord has told us in his word. He gives us a heads up. But do we see it? Do we understand? Now, the feast of the Lord, in Leviticus uh, verse 2 of chapter 23, says, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Now, the word feast in the Hebrew, one of the words is moed, and it means divine appointments. The word holy means to be set apart. And convocations is the word mikra, and the word mikra means a meeting or a rehearsal. Now, let's just take, I know from a coaching standpoint, a rehearsal is you practice. You go over something over and over and over again. So when it's, there's a game, you're not making mistakes. You're as fluid as possible. A wedding rehearsal. They go to rehearse what's going to take place on the big day. So the Feast of the Lord, which God proclaims to be holy convocations, holy divine appointments, set apart divine appointments, these are his feast. Now, each feast that we'll look at today, I want you to think of it with the definition in mind that's a rehearsal. It's something that has either already taken place or still has to happen. It's a remembrance. It's a celebration. They're prophetic. Every major event of Jesus' first coming took place on a corresponding feast day. And we're going to look at those four. There's four in the spring and three in the fall. The four in the spring have already taken place. They've already been fulfilled. The fall feasts still have to take place. Now, the Jewish Judaism is rich in tradition. And sometimes the tradition blinds them of what the Lord is trying to say to them. It's right there in front of their face. Just like the dancing bear was right there all the time. You probably didn't see it the first time, then that when you were told to look for it, you started looking a little more intently, and hopefully you saw it the second time. Judaism is rich 
and meaning, though, and that's what we want to look at today. The breakup of the spring and fall, there's a Passover in the spring, there's a Feast of Unleavened Bread, there's a Feast of First Fruits, and there's the Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks. Now, those four feasts have already taken place. They are still celebrated by the Jews, and for, by some of the Christians, we celebrate them, we remember them, we look into them, we study them, and sometimes they're taught right here from the pulpit on a particular feast day. Now, after Pentecost, there's been a break. Nothing has happened. The last three feasts have not taken place yet. And this is known as the church age, or also known as the summer harvest. So we're in the church age right now. We're part of that church age. Well, one day, the fall feast, although they're celebrated now, will come into fruition. And those are the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. Now remember, the word signs means a signal, a remembrance, a warning. Seasons, it's a feast. Moed, we look at that name already, which is a divine appointment. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, it says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Why? Well, because they already knew. They already had been going through the rehearsals. They've been going through it year after year after year for the spring feast for almost 1,500 years before Jesus was born. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had all the feasts that were to be celebrated. Well, those first four feasts for 1,500 years had been rehearsed before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The first feast that we're going to look at, many of us know it, is the Passover feast. And you can see here this gentleman with his family taking the blood of a lamb on a hyssop branch and putting it on the doorpost. Putting it on the doorpost that anybody who had the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death was going to pass over that house on the night that the tenth plague was going to be fulfilled and carried out. Notice in Exodus 12, 11, it says, this is the Lord's Passover. Just like in Leviticus 23, 2, the Lord calls these his feast. It's not designated as Jewish feast. It's not a Jewish Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. That's important because it's not just meant for the Jewish people. It's meant for anybody who follows the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob, who follows Jesus Christ. Now, in Israel's religious system, there's an a.m. and a p.m. sacrifice on the Passover. 
At 9 a.m. in the morning, they bind a lamb to the temple altar, or they used to do this. There's no longer a sacrifice. There's no longer a temple. One day that temple will be built. And I just heard the other day they just named a high priest. The Sanhedrin just named a high priest over in Israel so that when the temple is built, the high priest is ready to go. That's big stuff. That's huge. So at 9 a.m. in the past, they would bind the lamb to the temple altar. Well, at the same time, the Roman soldiers were binding Jesus to the cross. And you can see that in Mark 15, 35. At 3 p.m., the priest slaughtered the lamb in the temple. Well, at the same time that the priest was slaughtering the lamb in the temple, Jesus died on the cross. Psalm 113 to 118. God the Father even had a series of songs that were going to be uh, set into place during the Passover. Psalm 113 to 118 were the psalms that were being read or sang during the Passover. It's interesting, I just pulled out some of the words from some of the psalms. And just think about Jesus Christ when I read this, because that's who these psalms are about, these messianic psalms. And during the last part of the Passover meal, Psalm 115 to 118 is either sung or read. And here's some of the words in those songs. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to the going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is my strength and song. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. And the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. These were the words that were being said when Jesus was dying on the cross and hanging on the cross. So the people who had celebrated Passover for those 1,500 years and their ancestors carried on the tradition, on the Feast of Passover in Jerusalem, were saying these words as Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross. Did they see it? They saw him hanging, but did, they looked, but did they really see what was taking place as it lined up with the Scriptures? The secular historian Josephus writes in his records that more than two million people in Jerusalem during the Passover, a quarter million lambs were slaughtered at the temple. Blood channeled through conduits. 60,000 gallons of blood flowed on the Passover day. There was a massive amount of blood and water came out of the right side of the temple mount. Let me just go back a little bit. A lamb was being slaughtered. People were bringing their lambs to the temple. The priests were slaughtering the lambs. They were covered in blood. There was blood all on the ground. Some priests would go all the way down to the base of the mount and would bring up from the cisterns water to mix it, to try to rinse out the blood. And it would go in these conduits, and it would be a drainage system that would flow through the upper mount, down through, and come out a side of a hill to go down into the Kidron Valley, also known as Blood Valley or the Hidden Valley. And isn't it interesting that the blood was mixed 
with water on the Temple Mount. Because when Jesus, the last part of the uh, crucifixion of Jesus is when the soldier took the spear and stuck it in his right side. And guess what flowed out? Blood and water. Very symbolic of what was going on. And then we have in Matthew 27:51, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And the earth, there was an earthquake and the rocks were split. The veil that separated the priest from going into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence was, was torn in half from top to bottom. As Jesus died on the cross, the Father's heart, God the Father's heart was rent. He tore it from the top to the bottom and it has a lot of meaning for you and I. For now, we don't have to be dependent on a priest to go in and offer once a year a sacrifice for our sins and the sins of our nation. But Jesus, the high priest, shed his blood once and for all, so there was never a further need for a sacrifice ever to be done again. This brings us to the next feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We celebrate it, we have communion, the first Sunday of every month. If you look at the matzah, Notice the holes in it. Notice the stripes on it. All symbolic of what Jesus went through for you and me. The Feast of Unleavened Bread begins the day after Passover. The day after the Passover feast. They must eat bread, unleavened bread, for seven days. Leaven causes bread to rise. But it's a reminder of the exodus. There was no time for them to wait for the bread to rise. They had to get the unleavened bread and go because Moses was leading them out of Egypt. Leaven is a type of sin, and we see that in Matthew in 1 Corinthians. The leaven, no leaven in the bread, is like Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. By his stripes we were healed in Isaiah, and he was pierced. Jesus was pierced, and we see a, prof- a prophecy of that in Zechariah, but we have the matzah, the puncture holes in the matzah and the stripes. Jesus was sinless. If I went to the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, no luck, everybody. I couldn't even die for my own sins. It takes a perfect sacrifice, an unblemished sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice. And that was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was tempted in all ways that we were, but he never sinned. He never sinned. It's awesome. He's awesome. During the Passover ceremony, they break the matzah. They take the middle piece of the matzah. They wrap it in a cloth and they bury it or hide it. They make it reappear or resurrect later. In the Passover itself is the gospel 
but you need to have eyes to see it. The next feast is the Feast of First Fruits. It marked the starting of the grain harvest. The people were instructed to bring the earliest crops to the priest in the temple. These first fruits were waved before the Lord in worship. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruit, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. The first fruit represents to you and I Christ's resurrection. He was the first to rise from the dead. And you might say, well, then Lazarus rose from the dead. Yeah, but then he died again. Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, just waiting to come back for you and I. Great news. The first fruits means there was the first resurrection. You and I are going to be part of that second resurrection. Next feast is the Feast of Weeks, also known to us as the Feast of Pentecost. Now, in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks was the giving of the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, it's the giving of God's Holy Spirit. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the commandments, they were having an orgy. They were worshiping a golden calf. 3,000 men were killed as a result of that rebellion. But in the New Testament, the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, of which we're part of, we're part of that birth of the church that took place back in Pentecost. 3,000 men were saved when Peter preached. Back in the Old Testament, the commandments were written on stone given to Moses to bring down to the people. In the New Testament, the commandments written on our hearts by God's Holy Spirit when we take them in. The letter of the law brings death in the Old Testament. No one can follow the letter of the law. No one can follow the Ten Commandments. If I ask you the question right now, how many of you have perfectly kept all Ten Commandments? And you raise your hand. You just broke it. You just lied. You just committed a sin. But we're all sinners, and we all fall short of God's perfect standards. Those standards being the Ten Commandments. The spirit of the law is life. Jesus died on the cross to fulfill the law. We couldn't keep the law. He fulfilled it. Now we put our trust not in the law, but in the person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And all who call on him and follow him will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you're saved. Pentecost. 120 followers of Christ went to an upper room. Just like you came out today and, and 
came into this church. There was a tradition of waving two loaves of bread, two full loaves, leaven loaves. They would wave them as an offering. They represent the bride of Christ, the church, which also includes all Jews who believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The bride of Christ, the church, part of the church age. We're part of that. We are the bride of Christ. When they left Jerusalem after the Holy Spirit fell on them, they went back to their lands because the Feast of Pentecost, people came from all over, not just Israel. And when they went back, they weren't the same. They had a ministry. They had interaction with other people. They interceded through prayer, sharing the good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Well, back in that New Testament that we have, we saw the Feast of Pentecost. Now we're part of that long summer harvest. It's been a long, long time of harvesting. Souls have been coming into the kingdom. People have gotten saved. A time period that God has allowed. Now we're going to look at the fall feast. Remember, we're in the church age right now. All of the fall feasts, remember, are celebrated but have not been fulfilled yet. All of the spring feasts are celebrated but have been fulfilled. So four have been fulfilled, three still have to happen. But they're always being rehearsed. They all take place in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. They're all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's been over 1,900 years of rehearsing, getting ready to meet our Savior face to face. Are you anticipating? Do you have an anticipation for that? Are you looking for him? Do you see some of the signs that are going on in the world? Lining up with the scripture that's saying, hey, my people, heads up. I'm revealing my heart to you. I'm revealing my love of you. Now, guess how the summer season ends and the fall feasts begin? The blowing of the shofar. The blowing of the ram's horn. Do you ever wonder why it's a ram's horn? When Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Zion, a thousand years before Jesus even died, was even born, Abraham was told by God to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac. So Abraham put Isaac on the altar and was about to sacrifice him, and an angel of the Lord stopped him and said, I will provide a sacrifice. And over in the bush was a ram. I believe that the ram's horn is symbolic of the intercessory sacrifice that Jesus Christ has taken your place and my place so that we don't have to pay for our sins. They've already been paid for by the blood of Christ. So 
The high priest blows the shofar. It's the feast of trumpets. It awakens the area. It awakens the place. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. We believe this to be the rapture of the church when God takes out all his people before the last seven years of tribulation that's going to take place on this earth. And we'll be at the wedding feast with Jesus Christ as his bride. Now, when the chauffeur was blown, the field workers immediately left their work and they went to the temple for worship. They heard the horn, they were out of there. They were gone. Usually it was a short trumpet blast when the chauffeur was blown, but here, with the feast of the harvest, was a long, drawn-out horn. It was celebrated, this is interesting, because all the other feasts were on an exact day. The Feast of Trumpets was celebrated over a two-day period over history. And they began to call the two days one. And it began as time kept going. It began to be a mystery. And when it was the time of the uh, harvest, they didn't know the exact day or the hour that the shofar was going to be blown. So they anticipated it. Just like we don't know the day or the hour when the Lord's going to call us out of here. The Feast of Trumpets is the end of an era. Some other names of the Feast of Trumpets are the Wedding of the Messiah, the Hidden Day, the Time of Jacob's Trouble, the Day of Awakening, the Day of Judgment, the Coronation of the Messiah. Well, so many things are going on in our world today. Many of us believe that the trumpet is getting ready to be blown. And that's when all the believers in Jesus Christ will be taken home. Remember, we're just passing through this world. Our home is not here. The next feast is the Day of Atonement. This is the second of the three fall feasts. In Hebrews 9.12, it sees, says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Remember in the Passover, all the blood that was being shed, all the innocent lambs that were being slaughtered? Must have been unbelievable. Just the stench, the flies, right? All the insects going on with so many uh, dead animals. Well... Jesus shed his blood once and for all. And the Day of Atonement speaks of this. Jesus is going to come back to establish his kingdom. And in Zechariah 12.10 and in 13.1, it's going to be a very emotional day for the Jewish people because they're going to know Jesus and recognize him for the first time. They're going to see the one that they pierced is the one that they've been waiting for all along as Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom. The last feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. 
This is when Jesus returns to earth and he sits on his throne in the temple in Jerusalem. Remember again, the temple is not yet built. Right now, the dome of the rock is there, which is an Islamic site. It's not a Jewish site. Five days following, people gathered material to build the tabernacle that would house and show God's presence. On the 15th day of the month, the seventh month, shelters were built and lived in for seven days. And this just goes back to the time of remembrance in Egypt when they were brought out by Moses and they had to go through the wilderness and they had to set up their tents. I think when anybody comes up here to teach, it's to try to stir up your spirit for your own investigation into the scriptures. I remember as a a young kid, uh, Walt Disney World watching the Hardy Boys and just drawn into the whole uh, show with their adventure. Just the things that they found that led them to another site. And then they found a clue there and they went to another site. Uh, for a lot of you, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Just how that was just a blockbuster movie for everyone. Just the different clues and things they had to find. And recently, something like National Treasure. We love to see the signs. We love to see things about symbols and mystery. Well, God himself loves us so much that he reveals to us throughout our lifetime things to try to get our attention. One of the words, Moad, means divine appointment. I remember back when I was in college as a junior in 1972, I had a divine appointment with the Lord. I was presented the gospel and I had to choose whether I wanted to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And you know what? I came out of Catholicism and I came out of belief in almost everything that I've heard. I just didn't have that personal relationship with Jesus. That's what was lacking. There was a lot of good things I was taught, but I never was taught about a per- that I could have a personal relationship. It was basically based on just doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing and going to confession every time I messed up. Which if there was a confession every day, I probably would have been going seven days a week throughout the year. But it was so comforting to find that Jesus died once and for all and that he's the priest I can go to. I can confess my sins to him because he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all my sins and make me righteous in Him. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.